global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Catherine Cowdery. Stocks remained higher and the dollar slipped after minutes from the Federal Reserve's last meeting. Did little to alter perceptions for the timing of higher interest rates. Concerns that fallout from the Brexit vote may spread drove demand for havens. The S&P 500 held gains as the minute indicated May's weak jobs report fueled uncertainty among Fed officials about the economy, though data since, including a report on the services industries today, helped rekindle investor optimism. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. Dow Industrial Average currently up 64 points, a third of a percent, trading at 17,905. S&P 500 up nine points, a half a percent, trading at 2,098. The Nasdaq is higher by 33 points, a gain of two-thirds of a percent, trading at 48.55. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil up 75 cents a barrel, 1.6 percent to 47.35. Spot Gold up $7.60 a ounce at 13.6630. And the 10-year Treasury on change with a yield of 1.37%. And that's the Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Catherine Cowdery. It's time now for the ETF report. Let's go to Catherine Cowdery for news on exchange-traded funds. It's another record for Vanguard Group. The firm attracted $148 billion in new client money during the first half of the year. Vanguard is benefiting from a growing preference for low-cost vehicles that track indexes. Bloomberg Intelligence Analyst Eric Balchuna says Vanguard is branching out. They've uh, got active ETFs in London and in Canada now, and they filed exemptive relief to launch them in the U.S., Here's why that's a big deal. It's because right now the average fee for an active ETF is 76 basis points. Vanguard's active ETFs would probably cost in the range of 20 to 30, right? So that would be a massive undercutting, just like they always do, right? They come in and they Vanguard a category. Balchuna says when Vanguard lowers its expense fees, other firms follow suit. He calls it a blessing in disguise. Remember, active managers have to overcome their fee before they even get to zero, then they have to outperform from there. So the lower their fee, the closer to the starting line they are, and the more they'll outperform. Balchuna says it could lead to a renaissance in the active ETF space. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. This is Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. The worldwide bond rally, I think it might be better to call it a stampede, continues as Japan's 20-year government bond yield fell below zero for the first time as ultra-low yields worldwide, many of them negative now, failed to deter investors from rushing to buy government bonds, particularly as uh, they'd rather get a little return on their money if they can. The benchmark 10-year Treasury, as Catherine Cowdery just says, at 1.37, the 30-year down to 2.14. What does this mean? Are there signals from the bond market we should be heeding? Should we buy them now? Ira Harris joins us now, global macro trader and in-house analyst for Vine Street Trading out in Chicago. And his fans in the bond world know him for his regular missive, Notes from the Underground. Ira, welcome back. Thanks, Kathleen. Great to be with you. Well, you know, you've been a bond guy for a long, long time. When you see so many bond yields turning negative, what do you think? (laughs) First of all, there's nothing to think because nobody in their... I mean, I've been doing this almost uh, 39 years, going on 40, and never saw anything like this. Nobody could have thought anything like this, and it only gets more protracted. And uh, from an investor's point of view or a saver's, worse. So uh, 
it's there really are no words to describe it. All you can do is just a, the Fed has their reaction function, and everybody who trades bonds has their reaction function, and never the twain shall meet. All right, let's talk about something that meets in the European Union, and this is a sort of a, a Brexit vote that, that has to at, at, at least uh, sort of work itself out in, in some kind of reality. Is, is it too crazy to think that perhaps if the European Union isn't a sinking ship, that maybe it's taking on a lot of water, and then in the future it's going to look as though this Brexit vote was an intelligent move? Tim, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's exactly what's going on. And why? Because... We know that there's a rush for the uh, ECB to purchase as much as they're able to purchase and lo keep loading that balance sheet up. And that's I would make it that it's the most distorting factor going on in the market right now because everything is a relative value. And I was just going through uh, Bloomberg's uh, sheet that I look at of the 210 yields curves for most of the country. And the 210, you know, there's so much debt right now that the, uh, that the ECB cannot even buy. So they're moving down the quality ladder, um, quite a bit. Uh, you know, as I'm looking at the sheet right in front of me, uh, they cannot buy, uh, certainly of the two years, they can't buy, uh, well, they're close to not being able to buy Ireland. They can buy Spain, they can buy Italy, and I'm talking about the two year debt here. They cannot buy the Netherlands. They cannot buy, uh, well, Denmark. They cannot buy Germany. Hmm. They cannot buy France. Well, you know, tell, tell people why yeah. they can't do this. And, do and what it means. Because they can only pay the, the rate, uh, overnight rate there is negative 40. So they cannot buy anything that is yielding less than negative 40. So if you're at negative 50, they cannot <laughs> buy of that duration. So as they keep pushing this and pushing this, there's less and less to buy, which is why they just announced that they were lowering the quality of the assets that they were able to buy. So the question I have, it's I think it's hard to sort out. Any other time, if we had never heard of quantitative easing, central banks buying bonds, if we've never heard, we never heard of a central bank like the Bank of Japan consciously moving towards negative rates, uh, we would take this tremendous drop in bond yields into un, you know, unprecedented negative territory as a sign that the world economy must be falling apart. Now, it's not doing great, but it doesn't seem to be falling apart. Is, is there a signal other than just, wow, I got to grab some yield before it goes even lower? Yes. You know, I think that, and plus, you know, uh, Pim and uh, Kathleen, you know, you two have been reporting and been around long enough to understand this, that there, in today's world, you know, with the huge expanse of, uh, you know, Bloomberg's built their life on it, on the repo market. And when you need repo, you need quality assets in order to repo. Otherwise, the market, as we saw back in 2007, 2008, when people stopped lending the the assets that you needed to facilitate the repo market, it it dried up. Now it's drying up only because there's just not enough assets to back, you know, for quality repo. I need a bund. If I'm going to go do a repo in the European market, I need high-quality assets. And, yes, you know, that, of course, gets the bigger question that I uh, wrote about last night and talked about in that I asked a question, 
uh, about zero risk weighted assets. And I, I don't want to get too complicated here and dig into this, but if you have a zero risk weighted asset and by law right now, by banking regulations, I should say, sovereign debt, all sovereign debt is considered zero risk weighting. So banks can buy this and not have to re- hold any reserves against it. Tell, now, that, tell that to an Italian bank right now. Well, I, you know, Pim, that's exactly right. So I asked that question to a Jerome Powell last week when he was in Chicago. I always I like to go to see these people when they come through. A Federal but Reserve I, Board of Governors. Governor, yeah, you want to throw that in there? Yeah, and I asked him, you know, point blank, and he said, well, that's just the way it is. It's zero risk. Now, that was interesting to me because two months earlier at the same forum, we had uh, uh, Jaime Caruna, who used to be the head of the Bank of Spain, who's now at the BIS. And I asked him that similar question now that he was at the BIS. Does he have a different mindset about this? And his answer was very telling. He says, yeah, I look at it quite differently. And he thinks that sovereign debt should not be equally zero risk weighted because Spanish debt is not the equivalent of German debt. Spanish debt is not the equivalent of U.S. Treasury debt. It's just not the same. And therefore, why should it carry the same weighting? But we know the answer to that. They're not going to change in the midstream right now because can you imagine if they didn't have a zero risk weighting on Italian debt, what the impact would be to the Italian Mm. banks who would have to go out and raise? Yeah. Well, interesting because that's one of the reasons why the banks said they bought Greek sovereign bonds, as you know, Ira. They said, well, they, they were rated equally with the German sovereign. So you're raising a very important point. Does this mean anything for central banks? Will they re, should they rethink their quantitative easing strategy? Narayana Kochi Lakota, uh, he's the former head of the Minneapolis Fed, at this point very dovish, thinks the Fed should be lowering its Fed funds rate targets, thinks they should consider, consider negative rates and all kinds of tools. Would, would this make the problem better or worse? Or maybe not the problem, just the, this falling yields. Well, that is a real problem. But let's take it to a bigger level because we're talking about central banks. And the European Central Bank, in my mind, is an anomaly because, you know, and again, I asked Jerome Powell the first part of the – I asked him a two-part question. The, the risk zero risk weighting was the second part. The first part was who guarantees the ECB? And, of course, he gave me the classic answer, which is, well, the ECB has a printing press. You know, and I, and I really, when I pondered that, and I knew that's what he would say, but well, let's think about that. Just because you have a printing press with a fiat currency, that's kind of scary. You know, the Fed has a printing press, but they still have to answer to the fiscal authorities and the, and, and the legislative authorities. The ECB answers to nobody, and they don't have a harmonized fiscal situation. So who stands behind that balance sheet of the ECB? If it's only a printing press, I'm, I'm more, you know, which I know it is. It's pretty scary, though. Thank you very much uh, for frightening us. Uh, thank you very much. Ira Harris is a global macro trader, in-house analyst for Vine Street Trading, uh, based in Chicago. He can be followed on Twitter at Ira Harris. That's Y-R-A-H-A-R-R-I-S. You're listening to Taking Stock, and this is Bloomberg.